Hey everybody, this is Ernie Johnson, and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today we'll be talking to Brian Anderson, who is the Turner Sports play-by-play announcer for TNT, TBS, and NBA TV. Hi everybody. I love countdowns. I haven't had a countdown in a while. That was kind of fun. Gave me a little goose to count it down. I'm Brian Anderson, um, talking to you from Heartland, Wisconsin. Uh, I want to thank Ernie Johnson for having me on. Thanks to all my Twitter people and everybody on Instagram, too. I have two phones set up so we can uh, do it both ways here. And uh, because my 20-year-old daughter said that not everybody is on Twitter. So she's right as usual. So hello, Twitter, and hello, Instagram, IG Live, and Twitter Live. Um, Honored to be here. Thanks, Ernie, for um, setting this up for us. Seth was great yesterday. Of course, you killed it on on Tuesday. And thanks for giving me an excuse to uh, actually wear professional clothing. I had to break the sweater out. This is the first time in uh, 12 days I've had anything but on but a uh, hoodie. So it's good to, to get back in here with you. Um, so this EJ Journalism School, I think the, the idea here, you know, just listening to Ernie, first of all, what we want to do is open this up for students' questions. Uh, but I want to make sure and um, give you my story, my quick kind of summary of how I ended up on your uh, smartphone or your social platform today. And then uh, we'll take some questions later. But what would really be helpful, I would love if you would just, as we're talking here, and mostly I'm talking and you're listening, um, if you would just uh, give me your name or tell me where you're watching from or where you're sitting. Uh, If you're in school, I'd love to see that school. So if you're John from Marquette, uh, I would just love to see that kind of pop up as we go on Twitter. And that way I'll have a good understanding of who's all there. Um, and I will take about, I don't know, I'll tell you my story and then we can get into some stuff and, um, and then we'll, we'll uh, answer some questions because I am not smart enough to read all this and talk at the same time. But let me say a couple things about Ernie first. Um, he is the greatest and I mean that. And so this is his idea. And of course, everything Ernie comes up with is a great idea. So Turner is behind it and all their promotion and all their um social activity that they would have around this and it's going to keep going so matt weiner is coming on tomorrow i know ali laforce and steve levy and scott van pelt and james brown are all lined up for next week so i really encourage you to take this time i know many of you especially if you're high school college students um and by the way everybody's welcome um we're kind of tailoring this toward students and prospective broadcasters but everybody's welcome here and um, just want to reserve the opportunity to uh, ask questions uh, for the students later. Um, but, you know, we, we are just thankful that Ernie put this together because he's just, he's an awesome broadcaster, first of all, and as great as he, as he is on the air, he's a better person. And I mean that um, with, with all I have, because he's, he's the one guy that it's an honor to be his friend. And the thing about Ernie, what I tell people about his uh, greatness on and off the air is that he always knows just when the right time to contact you. So 
it's never when you like have do a great job or you have a great call or there's a great game. Um, it's usually when you're down, when you need, when you need a friend. Uh, I remember when I first started at Turner, I was so nervous going into uh, the very first MLB postseason with Turner Sports. That was in 2008. And one of the first calls I got was from Ernie. And I, I only knew Ernie a little bit at that time, just had met him a few times, but never uh, had engaged with him at all. So um, he was he was great. And everything he said was just exactly what I needed to hear. And then those moments when you're a little bit down and you know you maybe you didn't do the kind of job that you uh, wanted to do, there's Ernie, he's, uh, he's there. So thank you, Ernie, uh, for putting this together. And I'm really happy to um, be here with you guys on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, so Ernie mentioned that, uh, my story is a little unique and I would say it's probably, um, I mean, we all have our stories, how we get to this point. Um, but I don't know if anybody would ever even want to take my path. Um, so what I would like to get into today, um, is not really like a 12 step process on how to be successful, even though that's part of it. What I really want to get into today is how to deal with the mud, how to be in the mud, how to deal with all those fears, anxiety, the shame, the am I doing this the right way? So those are the kind of things that I would like to discuss today, because I do think when you're just starting out, um, that's the that's the biggest hurdle. And most people quit uh, during that time because it's it's embarrassing. Um, your friends don't look at you the same. You don't even necessarily talk the same. You're trying to do things on a public level um, that they're not really used to. And it's the hardest part uh, is to kind of break away or do something that is different from what you've always been. And many of you out there are there right now in this moment. So um, I can take you through some of those steps. But my quick story is this. So uh, I went, a big uh, moment in my life is when I, I left. So I'm from Texas. I grew up in Georgetown, Texas which is just outside Austin. And I, I was a baseball player and I played college baseball. And um, I had uh, left one college, which was Southwestern University um, to go to St. Mary's. So I transferred after my sophomore year. And while I was at Southwestern in Georgetown, I was a business major and I really had no direction. I knew kind of, I wanted to be involved in sports. I thought maybe um, at that time, my older brother, Mike, who's a huge inspiration, and I'll tell you more about how he impacted me later. Um, but he was playing professional baseball. He, he was in the pro game. He was in the red system. He was moving up the ladder. And so I kind of knew like, man, if I'm not good enough to play, I want to stay in it. And at that time, my freshman, sophomore year, I thought probably maybe I'd be good enough to play professionally. Uh, I hadn't had the reality check just yet. So, I end up transferring to St. Mary's. This is 1991, after the 91 season. And that was the biggest moment of my career and my life, career now, because going there, I changed my major. I started to become my own person. I got away from my hometown and I love my hometown, but it, it kind of forced me out, out there. And um, I was able to start to really dive in on what I wanted to do if baseball playing didn't work out. And part of that was to dive into potential broadcasting opportunities. So I, I went there and I was a scholarship athlete. And so I played baseball. We were the number one team in the nation. I loved it there. 
at St. Mary's. Uh, we were an NAIA school at the time. We were the number one team in the nation, as I mentioned, went to the College World Series, had a great program. We played on a minor league field. We shared one. That's important for later. I'll tell you that in, you know, in a moment. Um, but I just, I really had a great time. But then I got into school and I realized, well, there's really no journalism school. There's no, there's a communication school, but it's more English communications. And so, man, that kind of hit me in the face. Like, wow, there's not, there's not a whole lot of opportunities like many of you have um, in your schools. And I've seen many of them, the facilities and the opportunities that you guys have to be on air. Uh, there, there wasn't much of that back then at St. Mary's. I mean, that's not what they were known for and uh, things have changed since. But so I kind of had to carve out my own path. So I go to school and I'm playing baseball and I had this internship with the cable company and it was a paid internship, which was great. Um, and so I, I went into that internship and I really wanted to just learn as much as I could. This, this cable company had a studio and I worked in the studio. So we did public access. We did music festivals like, you know, the Tejano Music Festival. Uh, we did all kind of public access shows. We did the mayor's forum, city manager's report. We did all of that stuff that you would see on public access. Well, when you see people on public access channels um, and they're doing their thing, whether it's a cooking show or whatever they're doing, a conspiracy theorist show or anything, there are people behind the scenes. Usually it's one or two people that are making all that go. <laughs> and that's where I learned the business of television. So I started as in as a technical crew member. So I learned how to run handheld camera. I learned audio. Um, I learned graphics. I learned how to uh, to be the TD, the technical director, the switcher. Um, and I just dove into it. I loved it. I always knew I wanted to be an announcer after. I wasn't even sure how that was going to be possible. It seemed like a really impossible thing to do is to be an announcer and um it just was such a hard thing to, to get. So I'm just totally involved in, in being in the tech world. And um, we, at that time, the cable company had a contract with the San Antonio Spurs to do all their preseason games. So I had literally just learned how to run handheld camera. So, and next thing you know, I mean, I probably had the handheld on my shoulder five times in my life. And I'm sitting on the floor running handheld for a Spurs, San Antonio Spurs preseason basketball game at Hemisphere Arena, the last year of Hemisphere Arena. And the producer and director at that time, a guy named Mike Kikarillo, who's been instrumental in my life and career, he was on the job. And through these two years of going to college and working at the cable company, getting to know some of those people, he had given me an internship uh, with the Spurs. Um, and that's how we had formed a relationship. And so now I'm kind of running camera and now I'm kind of all in on the tech world um, while I'm playing baseball. I remember one story I was doing handheld and you sit Indian style, uh, you know, like crisscross applesauce on the floor when you do handheld. And I remember Patrick Ewing was playing for the Knicks and he came down and he got shoved and I'm right into the basket just to the left. And he put his foot down right across my leg right across my tibia and if he would have pushed down any less of an athlete he would have snapped my leg in half now i was the starting catcher on the number one team in the nation and i was kind of moonlighting with this job so i just had my whole college career kind of flash in front of my eyes so um 
that's when I kind of stepped back and wasn't so aggressive with the camera. That's just one little side note. But um, as I go through my my college life and now I've played my last baseball game um, and I'm graduating, took me an extra semester to graduate. I had lost 21 hours when I transferred. So it took me an extra semester. But in that time, um, I really just buckled down on all things media and publicity. And, and as I mentioned, we shared the field. My baseball team in college shared the field with the San Antonio Missions, the AA Texas League team. And I, we did as much as we could for those guys. We pulled tarp. We uh, worked on the grounds crew. Uh, we did whatever we could when their season would be in session. This would have been about like uh, the years Mike Piazza was coming through and playing for the missions. Eric Karos, Mike Piazza, Billy Ashley. Uh, those were some of the names. And so we had a re- I had a relationship with these guys and I was working for them on various jobs and they allowed me to bring my tape recorder and sit in the stands and call games into a microphone. It was a Radio Shack tape recorder. And I was calling games, just calling play by play. I remember Vernon Spearman was on the team. You can uh, go to baseball reference. Uh, Vernon Spearman had two rounds with the missions, but uh, this would have been uh, 93 and or 92, maybe 92, 93. And so I just started calling as many games as I could. And in the meantime, I'm working in the technical world and actually doing okay. So I'm, I'm really enjoying the artistry of running handheld camera. And I was young and athletic and strong enough to all the older guys and they'll tell you, but they pretty much put the heavy handheld camera on my shoulder and they went up and did the hard cameras, you know? And so I remember the camera was an icky 79. And if you're in the technical world at all, the icky 79 is a beast. It's like this long and it's heavy. And the cable that comes out of it, we called it the widow maker because <laughs> about that fat and it was tough to maneuver around. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm running camera. I'm into it. I'm starting to get all these like big time boxing events and um, various things around town and some college football. Back then, the network was called HSE, Home Sports Entertainment. So I was kind of active and making game checks and feeling like, yeah, this could kind of be my career. Um, and then I had a, just a really golden opportunity with the missions uh, and a guy named Roy Acuff, who was a long time, he's in the Texas League Hall of Fame, he's a long time broadcaster, and he had had some health issues, and he asked me, because I had been up there a lot uh, doing dummy recordings into the Radio Shack microphone and tape recorder, and he just asked me if I wanted to help out, and, um, you know, so, and I did. In the meantime, when all this is happening, I'm tapping in with my brother, Mike, who's now in the minor leagues of the Cincinnati Reds organization. And everywhere he goes, I'm jumping into the radio booths of those places. Guys like uh, Larry Ward in Chattanooga and Kurt Bloom in Birmingham, um, which was a, a stop for my brother as the visiting player. Kurt Bloom was the first guy to ever put me on the air. So I really appreciate him. Um, and there were just, uh, you know, these minor league guys, double uh, A with the Reds and then triple A back then. Um, and they let me just listen in on them. So I did that all while I'm going through my college days, running t- camera and doing all the tech stuff. So it all was kind of coming into graduation and me finishing school. I had all this experience. I actually worked for Monday Night Football for a couple of years as a runner. And I worked in the truck 
So there were guys there, a guy by the name of Fred King and Brian Mobelson. They were great. And they let me sit in the truck because they knew I wanted to be an announcer. So I sat right behind Craig Janoff, the director, and Kenny Wolf, the producer of Monday Night Football. And I used to get out in Michaels' newspapers. <laughs> Twelve of them, I think it was, Al. He wanted every newspaper you could find. Uh, so I kind of did all these odd jobs for them uh, during this time as well. So this is college age while I'm playing baseball, while I'm going through it. So everything's just kind of moving along. But then um, Roy Acuff with the missions thought it would be good if I joined the broadcast, if I was interested. And I, I was, of course. And I had two opportunities um, coming out of college. I had an opportunity to go scout with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, scout by the name of Julian Mock and Johnny Almarez, who's now with the Phillies. They both were with the Reds at the time and offered me a chance to go to scouting school and go into baseball. And I thought maybe I'll do that. And it paid a lot more than the broadcasting job. Uh, but I took the broadcasting job and I did home games only. And I made $25 a game. I, cl I clocked in with the ushers. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, I jumped right in. I'd never really been on the air to call a game, but I'd called a bunch of games on tape, these little cassette demos, and had done some random freelancing. And I had just done some, you know, some miscellaneous stuff that I could do in the business. But all the while I was doing camera and doing all the tech jobs, my goal was to always listen in the PL headset, they call it. You can always hear the announcer. So the camera fits on your right shoulder. That's an open ear. So that's open. And the, you have the ear muff on the left shoulder. And you can hear the announcers because if they start talking about somebody, uh, then you go shoot that, you know. So, But I was listening in a much bigger way um, than just following their lead to know what to shoot. So I was kind of like building all of this together. And they all fit seamlessly in my mind that I would do all the tech stuff and then the missions job, the play-by-play -play job was going to be a lot better for me and I'd have all this experience. And then things just kind of like stopped. So I was still doing the tech jobs. I got an interview with the San Diego Padres after my very first year calling minor league baseball, uh, 1994. And I thought this was going to be easy. I've just started. They're already wanting to interview me. I'll be able to not do the tech stuff anymore. And not have to do handheld camera and all that. And I'll, I'll be able to go move to San Diego. I was actually looking at apartments in San Diego. This would have been leading up to the 95 season. And man, I didn't get the job. And that was the first like real failure, your, you know, gut punch uh, that I was going to get. But at, at the same time, I thought there's enough out there that I was going to start maybe getting more opportunities. Well, long story short, I spent nine years in the minor leagues in San Antonio, nine seasons. Um, and there's a whole wave of things that you go through in those nine years that I'm happy to share with you. But that's why I like talking about the mud and getting into the mud of it and the, the, the times when you're, when you're struggling. And, you know, I was not making any money hardly. My wife was a school teacher. God bless her. She was a great school teacher as well. And we lived on her, her salary and her health benefits. And, um, you know, it was just really tough. And so I, that's my background. And so I maintained one half of the year 
kind of more like this probably, right? Half of the year, I was a baseball play-by-play announcer in the minor leagues. The other half of the year, I was doing tech work and running whatever I could, any like gig economy. I was a gig employee and I took whatever gig I could do it. So that, that lasted from 94 till 99. And so in the meantime, I started doing as much basketball as I could because I loved basketball. I played football and baseball in high school, baseball in college, but I played all the sports. I played golf. I played everything I could. We played pickup basketball all the time. So you know, I loved the game of basketball. And um, I started doing Southland Conference basketball, Midcon Conference. I started getting some of these these jobs, but really the focus for me was the minor league baseball schedule. And the reason is because it was six months and it was 140 broadcasts. So after the first year, uh, I, I got hired full-time by the missions and I also helped with the PR and I did like the game notes and ultimately did the media relations. So you have to do multiple jobs when you're in the minor leagues. So I started, um, I started calling games in the minor leagues and the volume of games is what I really needed the most. And I, I had a sense of that. And so I was really trying hard and working hard every day to, to try to improve uh, going through the peaks and the valleys of, um, of that life. Now I wasn't making much money, which was a problem, but my arm was still in great shape and I just come from playing. So what I did was, and I tell kids this all the time, students who are, uh, wanting to be broadcasters, find that second means of income. It's really important. It's it's as important as the job itself when you're doing broadcasting or on air or writing or whatever you're doing, because you, you need that second means of income. And for me, I did all the tech work, but I also threw batting practice for the missions. So I'd throw one or two groups. John Shelby was the manager one year, Tom Byers, um, Rick Burleson, these were kind of the managers as I was coming through and I would, I would throw BP and I would also catch bullpens. So I remember catching Chanho parks first double a side session before he pitched. He just come from Korea and the Dodgers would pay me $25 a day to throw BP and catch bullpens. <laughs> and also on the road, the Dodgers, uh, that was the parent club to the missions, the minor league team, they'd pay me a dollar a bag to pull the luggage off the buses. So man, I was like broadcasting the games, doing the PR, media relations work, pulling bags at a dollar a bag. And believe me, I was pulling every bag I could get my hands on and throwing BP. And I also worked for the Texas League writing a newsletter once a week uh, as an intern, a paid intern. So I was just scrambling to put all this stuff together so it could support my broadcasting uh, my broadcasting dreams and baseball was the volume of that. So kind of a long story to get to, uh, and I'll speed this up now, but basically nine years of minor league baseball in year five, um, the Spurs gave me a chance to fill in as a sideline reporter. I did. I ended up doing a number of games that year. That was uh, 99. So that was the lockout year. Um, the year the Spurs won their first championship. So I was a sideline reporter for, uh, was it called Fox Sports Southwest then, or was that still HSC? Or I can't remember, but Fox Southwest, I think. Um, so now I'm in, I'm in broadcaster minor league season, some on-air work, non-minor league season, and 
because I had a lot of dead time in the wintertime, I actually went and worked at a golf course. I love golf. Um, and I went to work at the Hyatt Hill Country Resort in San Antonio. And I really, I kind of wanted to work there because in case all this other stuff didn't work out, I felt pretty good about maybe maintaining a career as a camera operator or in graphics somewhere like a production. But if I was going to do that, then I was going to maybe go through the program and maybe become a golf professional, not a touring pro, but a club professional. So that was kind of my thinking there. And I did that for five years. So I had at one time, I had all these jobs going, camera work, tech work, golf course employee and <laughs> minor league baseball announcer and husband and father, by the way. So uh, when all that was kind of going together, now I'm, I'm in this position for, you know, nine years doing this. And I remember that golf job. So I want you to remember all this stuff. I know this is all over the place, but this is how my mind works and it's hard to keep track, but this all comes together, I promise. So this golf job, and I loved it. And some of the people that uh, I worked for there are still some of my best friends to this day. Um, guy named Paul Ernest and uh, Dan Budzius and Charlie Kent and Jennifer Roddy and Andy Church and Keith Cunningham. These are all just great friends of mine. And I still keep in touch with a lot of them. And that was an hourly wage job. I think I made $7 an hour. And I, I, I was showing up at, you know, 5.30, 6 a.m. to open up the shop, folding shirts, making tea times, doing the announcements um, for the tournaments. And it was totally opposite and different of everything I was doing as a broadcaster or the tech work um, run camera. Those dudes, they love coming and pulling cable for me, by the way. I'd always bring them to, like, the Alamo Bowl and Spurs games. And so that was a nice end. Uh, they were terrible utilities, but they ended up working a little bit for me. Um, so I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. And the golf job ends up being the spot where I learned the most, mostly from the people I was working for. This guy, Paul Ernest, I was telling you about. And I just learned how that this customer service angle, you know, they called it the Hyatt Touch back then. And I started to just try to think about, can I connect the service industry and these thoughts I'm having in the service industry and how they function over here, connect that to the sports industry and the sports broadcasting world. And it made total sense to me that we are in the service industry as broadcasters and we are there to serve the audience. And I started like this notion of following back and forth. I do the, the job at the golf course and then it, it would interlap a little bit uh, in the first month of the season. And then I would, I would go and, and be a broadcaster. And then there were just a couple of moments that happened because all this was going on. But one of them was, I remember my boss at the time at the golf course, Paul saying, after watching me call a baseball game and do some broadcasting, he said, I'm, I'm not hiring you to be a golf professional. And I'm going to make sure that nobody in Texas hires you either. So he basically blacklisted me on the spot because he really felt like I don't need to be chasing this career. I need to be chasing the broadcasting career. And I was, that was kind of about year seven, maybe of not getting any big league opportunities and getting turned down year after year, sending tapes, uh, putting these demo tapes together, wrestling through that. Um, so I was really frustrated and down and worried that it was never going to, going to happen. So that was all the internal dialogue I was having. 
But in the meantime, going through each job, um, you know, I would listen to tapes and I would listen to ultimately like a mini disc MD player. And I would, I would have that set up in my car and I would listen to the highlights on the way home from the games. And I did, I hated the way I sounded and kind of used to talk like this, kind of had a high voice up here, you know, <laughs> kind of country maybe. Um, but I, I got this book called change your voice, change your life in uh, 96. And I really started using those principles. So Morty Cooper is the author. You should go on Amazon right now and order this book, Change Your Voice, Change Your Life by Morton Cooper. It, it's six bucks, maybe not even. It, and it, ha, it did, it changed my life. Because I started reading this, by I read it in a day, but I started applying these principles, how to use your diaphragm when you speak, how to get your voice in the mass. So I was working on all the mechanics, still kind of frustrated that I wasn't getting anywhere. I wasn't going where I thought I was supposed to go. And I was doing the tech work and I'm meeting all these NBA announcers and I'm running camera, remember, or, or ultimately graphics up in Jumbotron. And so I'm, I'm hanging around guys like Chick Hearn and one of my mentors, Dave Barnett, who, who called games for the Spurs. And then Ron Thulin uh, was there as well. Greg Papa. These were all Spurs announcers uh, that I really looked up to and, and, and had great conversations with. So I'm kind of immersed in it. But again, I'm still seen as the, the camera guy or the audio guy, or the graphic guy, whatever. Um, many didn't even know that I was doing minor league baseball as a broadcaster. So I just kind of kept pushing all this stuff to the middle, all these things I'm doing and try to use a lot, utilize every spot, every piece of the pie and see if I can create something else, just be better and all kind of ways, just be a better person, be a better husband, better father, better employee, hourly wage employee, you know, um, be a better broadcaster, better cameraman, start to serve. Like that was my main goal, serve people. And I made a huge switch mentally from trying to make it to just being present. And that came along about probably 90, probably 99 when I got to the Spurs, maybe 2000. I just, everything I'd done was a step to the next thing. So I'm listening to them, my tapes, and I'm saying, that's not good enough. Instead of beating myself up, I started to give myself a break and said, okay, well, what are the things you need to do to be better? And so all of these pieces, and I'm doing that in every walk of life, when I'm working at the golf course, when I'm working um, on the, in the tech world, or when I'm working as a broadcaster. And, you know, as I get to 99 and 2000, I just decided I'm just going to, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be in the moment, call the games in the moment. I'll deal with whether it's good enough, bad enough, what needs to be improved later. Like a few days later, I'll go listen. Because the thing about when you hear yourself for the first time, you don't like your voice. You don't like the way you sound. It's, it's shocking. And you have all your memories. You have two dialogues going in your head. You have the one that's coming out of your mouth and you have the dialogue in your head and you're thinking about all these things. And it's best to get far enough away from those demos to where you've forgotten some of this stuff. Uh, and you can just listen to it as you would listen to, to any announcer. And so, you know, things are kind of, you know, now I look back on it, things are kind of kind of moving in this direction. But I'm it's nine years, man, nine years. It's like longer than... I go through the quick story, San Antonio Missions, Golf Channel, Milwaukee Brewers, Turner Sports. But that 
is so not what it is. It's it's like the space between the missions and the golf channel was nine years <laughs> on the buses. And I loved it, but it was hard. The broadcasting wasn't being around the, the guys and throwing BP and hanging around. I was Bull Durham life. But being away from home and not making any money and just wondering if you're ever going to be validated for what you're doing. And all my friends have great jobs. And, you know, I was I was a college graduate as well. They got mortgages and homes and families and you know, we were struggling. And so I just, I really got a couple of huge breaks, but one of them um, getting, going to St. Mary's, the other was the missions job with Roy Acuff, Burl Yarborough, who's still there, and all those guys who uh, work with the missions. Incidentally, he's now a Brewers AAA affiliate, which is crazy. Um, same ballpark, even Wolf Stadium. Um, and I got, I got a huge break with Mike Kikarillo and the Spurs to go on the air with them you know, like 99, 2000, uh, I interviewed for, or at least sent a demo to the golf channel and I didn't get the job, but come around 2003 now, um, they were, they had an, an opening and I did get the job and imagine like one of the reasons I got the job was because I had some golf experience. I had been in the golf world. I was, I was working as an hourly employee uh, in the golf business. And that kind of was like, yeah, well, he's got broadcasting and he's got golf. So we'll give him a shot here. I'd never called a golf tournament in my life. And so I left the minor league baseball team after nine years. I went to the golf channel. That was basically the summer. You know, we, we went 10 months, but that was the summer. And then I still did the Spurs sideline and as much play by play as I could. I was doing a ton of at that point, college play by play basketball, uh, working in the NBA as a reporter every day. Spurs are winning championships, felt like every other year. I was there for the first four championships. So then things were pretty good. I'm on a little bit stable ground. The Golf Channel allowed me to, you know, it was like my first six-figure salary, and I was able to finally just like, whoa, I, I, I've kind of made it now. Like, I'm, I'm good. I can pay my bills. I can pay off all my debts. <laughs> and so that lasted for four years, and, and then the Brewers had an opening, and uh, I got that job. And I, I was, I hadn't done baseball in four years. Matter of fact, my first Brewers game, opening day of 2007. So this is opening day of, supposed to be opening day of 2020, but opening day of 2007 was my first ever major league game on television. M matter of fact, first major league game I'd ever called. I had called a ton of baseball, minor leagues. Uh, and I called a ton of television on the golf channel and, all kind of different baseball on the you know, little league world series and the regionals and basketball, all kind of stuff at that point. But that was the first day. And Ben Scully was with the Dodgers and traveling at that time. And one of my idols and Bob Euchers in the other booth. So I got Ben Scully in this booth, and Bob Euchre in this booth, two hall of famers. And so 07, this is where it gets crazy. 07 is when I'm in the big leagues for the first time. And all those years of the minor leagues, now this is all I do. I only do the Brewers. I've moved to Milwaukee. My daughter's in second grade. My wife and I both come to Milwaukee, plant roots. We're still here um, 13 years later. So later that year, September of 07, I get a call from Fox asking me if I would like to fill in. I think it was Josh Lewin had to miss a game. And I filled in. I worked with Tim McCarver, and I did a Fox game in September at a pennant race, Marlins-Mets. And nine years in the minor leagues, 
all his years as a reporter with the Spurs. And four months after, five months after I start with the Brewers, I'm, I'm now doing a national broadcast. And then the next year, Turner um, is looking for an announcer to do their postseason. This is 2008. I've had one year of major league experience and they hired me to do the postseason. I was scared to death and it was the Brewers. I had to call my own team in the postseason against the Phillies and I've been with Turner ever since. And so everything is just kind of like they've added a little more and I've done a little more and then they've added more to it. Uh, NCAA tournament starting in 12, NBA and NBA playoffs starting in 14 and back to my NBA roots all those because I had spent 12 seasons with the Spurs nine uh, eight of those as an announcer and the others you know working in for the Spurs in like their tech ops um, so I had a long history and relationship with the Spurs so um, and then that kind of leads me to right here with you today and the great Ernie Johnson asking uh, me to come on so um, happy to answer some questions now that's kind of my story like I said I, I really what I want to, if you, I'm trying to look through these questions here as we go, but if you want to talk about like being in the mud, because I think being in the mud is the most important thing. So a couple things I want to tell you about that. When you're first starting out and you're listening to yourself and you're trying to figure out if it works or not, don't think about the end game. Have that as a goal. That's fine. But just as best you can be present and try to just absorb what's in front of you. Don't, because you can have these two dialogues going and you're going to run yourself over. So evaluate later, be in the moment, just like a golfer would. I mean, I used a lot of this from my sports background, my athletic background. Like you can't think about technique as a defensive back um, in the middle of a play. You, you have to just, you have to practice that and then execute that. And so I tried to apply those same uh, perspectives. And so, and I didn't for a long time. I beat myself up regularly. And I wish I'd have had this advice when I was 22, 23, 4, 5. I really didn't transition to this way of thinking until I was probably 26. And I do want to mention I had like a really incredible support from this, my agency, my agent, who hired me as a project, or I hired them, but they signed me on as a project, if management at the time, Gideon Cohen and Steve Hers guy named Jared Horowitz and that they, I'm still with them. They're with Montag. Now we're all Montag group, but I love those guys. And that's how I kind of just like, you know, they were my sounding board when I was just down and low and I wasn't making enough commission for them to screw in a light bulb, much less like have a career. So, um, I just, I, I really want to stress that when you hate yourself <laughs> and you hate how you sound and it's not going to sound like, Bob Eucher or Marty Brenneman or Vin Scully. Um, just remember, you just want to survive to the next day. Just survive to the next day and treat your broadcasting, another sports analogy here, treat your broadcasting like a golf swing. You got a hook, maybe it's your grip, maybe it's your stance. Go through the mechanics of your broadcasting and don't take it any deeper than the surface. It's all mechanics. Don't think about it any other way than this is not good enough. I'm going to try to do things to make it good enough. In the meantime, I'm not going to listen to all the chatter, all the noise, and you're going to make mistakes. Um, and it's okay. That's where you learn. You learn out of the mistakes. And it's so important to just like dive into those mistakes and the feeling when you make mistakes and things don't go how you want them to. So 
I hope I'm answering a lot of these questions that are popping up because a lot of them are the same. Uh, but I, it's really important to embrace the mistakes and the frustration and feel those feelings. And, you know, you feel like I just made a mistake. Matter of fact, it's running all over the place last year in the NCAA tournament. One of the lowest points of my career turned into one of the real thrills of my career. I miscalled a dramatic play at the end of a game. I called it for the win. It was for the tie. And it crushed me. But man, the support and the overwhelming support from famous announcers that are friends of mine, but some that aren't, telling me about all their mistakes and all the things that they, I was just as very, very uh, healing and it was good medicine for me, but not that I wish it hadn't happened, but I mean, I, I wish it wouldn't have happened, but I'm kind of glad it did because you get to hear a lot of things about yourself that maybe you'd only get when you're at your own funeral. So I got to hear some of that stuff. Um, but I do think, you know, you got to embrace those mistakes. You're going to make them the rest of your life. Don't, don't dive into the noise. And it, it's no attack on your character ever. Be a good person. Serve the people you're working for and working with. Get to know them. Know their talents. Know, like, all the crew, especially if you're on television. Um, know who does what. Understand and appreciate their jobs. Um, understand their challenges and try to make their challenges lesser even if you have to become lesser in the meantime. So be totally willing and able and authentically ready to, to enjoy other success. And that's kind of like my big picture philosophy on it. So uh, let me just, um, I'm sorry if I'm, t I'm talking a lot. I haven't talked in like 12 days. So yeah, there was a, a note here, like they used to call me the 20 year overnight success. That's funny, Tim. And that, that was true. Like, I started showing up on all these games, remember, on, on Fox. And <laughs> these guys, they're like, oh, where's this guy come from? He's an overnight success. Uh, never mind those all those years in the minor leagues on the buses. And, man, it's great to see all of you out there. Wow, just from all over the country and all different schools. And I do miss the Brewers right now. The Brewers, they're replaying opening day. Hopefully we'll have baseball soon. I mean, it's who knows how long this is going to last. Shout out to all the medical workers, by the way. And man, my next door neighbor is head of uh, infectious disease. He's a doctor. He is incredible. Ravi, his team and everybody that's involved on that side. You know, we are so thankful that we can just sit here in my basement and have this conversation. Probably the best thing um, about that. I'm just going through some, maybe some questions I didn't so how did you differentiate yourself listening to all these guys for years? Great question. So when I first started, that's a really good question. Thanks for that, Tanner. Um, when you first start out, I, I think it's important to mimic those that you like. For me, it was Milo Hamilton. So I didn't know any different. So I just, I follow along his track. I, I used his rhythm, his cadence, um, because I didn't know any different. And so I, I did it. I did Milo Hamilton on Missions Radio my first year. Um, and then I listened, and it was terrible, but it at least got me into here's the pitch. Or, or in basketball, Marv Albert was a huge influence of mine. Um, Dave Barnett, you know, listening to uh, Dick Stockton. So I would, when I would do basketball, I would, I would mimic those guys. When I would do golf, I would think about Jim Nance. I would think about... Um, uh, I would think about Jack Whitaker even and kind of his resonance in his voice. And so you're going to do the imitation part and that's okay. Don't, that's fine. But as fast as you can get away from that, um, as fast as you can get away from that, do that. It's important to develop your own style and then not care. Just 
because you can't fake it. Remember I told you the 140 minor league game season, the reason that was so important to me is because I needed the reps, the volume. I didn't, I didn't go to a university that we were able to get reps even. I was just doing the stuff on my own in the stands. And then when I started in the minor leagues, luckily after the first year, I, I needed the volume of games, you know, every day. And it didn't, you know, it came at you like waves, like a fire hydrant. You weren't going to be able to sulk. It didn't matter if you were sick. It didn't matter if you had allergies, if you felt bad. It didn't matter. There was a game the next day um, for the most part. And so I think that volume of games would help me tweak and tweak and tweak and start to develop my own style. And then at some point, because it's like a marathon runner, you have to get into a relaxed state or you can't finish the race, the 26 miles, your body, if you're tense and if, if you're not running in your own gate. So you have to find your own gate. A lot of athletic analogies here, I guess. Um, challenge you faced as a new and up and coming sports announcer. I kind of covered a lot of that, but I, I think the biggest challenge is what people think of you and their perception of you. And it's, it still weighs on me every day. I want my bosses to be happy with me. Um, I want to do a good job. I want fans. I don't want to ruin their experience either. I'm not trying to make mistakes. I'm not trying to insult them. I'm definitely not rooting for the other team. I promise. Um, but you have to kind of just write that off. It just doesn't matter uh, on some level. You have to be yourself, do the way you do it, keep getting better and make the tweaks you need to tweak, but you know what yourself is, what your voice sounds like. Um, and if you can do that and it's good enough and you end up getting hired, then that's the only way to make it. If you're trying to be somebody else and there's so many Vin Scully impersonators out there, I hear so many tapes, just everybody puts the voice in the nose and hi everybody. And you just want to be a Ronnie radio and you don't have to do that. Find your voice, read that book, change your voice, change your life. That'll put your voice in the mask. I, I never lose my voice unless it's like cold or allergy related. I don't lose it from fatigue. I've, I've called six basketball games in a day at the Paralympics, wheelchair basketball, six of them. I've obviously called four NCAA tournament games a day. And, and as long as you have breath support, you're breathing out from your diaphragm and you're passing that air across your mask, the mask, um, you're not going to have trouble with your voice. The book will help you with all that. Uh, here's a question about prep. This is good, Jack. Thank you for asking that. So I get a lot of questions about prep. Prep for me has changed over the years. I've started to, I used to be a prep uh, gorilla, man. I would just, I, I would have everything covered. I would spend hours and hours and hours and hours with my scorebook or with, if I'm doing basketball, just notes and notes and notes. Um, as I've gotten into this realm when we're talking millions of viewers um i i pre it, the, the prep never ends so you're constantly reading you're constantly absorbing your it, it's perpetual so you're never really like at the end of your prep it's like i'm gonna spend three hours i'm gonna be prepped for this game that's not how it works you're constantly reading every day you're reading you know there's all these great writers make sure you cite those writers when you uh, use a note or a nugget from them They've worked hard to produce that. That's important. Um, but you're kind of absorbing, and then you may have questions. And when you talk to players, um, you know, that, that's how you do it. Basically, there's kind of maybe four stages. There's the home prep, the stuff you're doing on the plane, on your phone, at home, the stuff you're writing down. I still do a board for basketball, handwritten. 
I, uh, for baseball, I just use the lineup sheet. For golf, I make my own notes on my iPad because I need easy access. Um, so there's kind of the home time, and when you're not on the air and you're not around your people, that's one phase. The next phase is kind of learning enough to ask questions when you do get on site, when you're at the driving range, talking to players, when you're at the batting cage, when you're at, at you know shoot around or like you know the pregame workouts in the NBA or college basketball. That's the next phase, and you're assembling and assembling and adding to it, and then then there's kind of like that last third phase, which is tightening everything down, going through all of your prep and just kind of picking out the best, the best of the best Like you've whittled down 50% of it at this point, And then getting that into a usable form. And if you do it over and over, like you whittle down, whittle down in phase two, now you're whittling down in phase three, right before you go on the air. Uh, what you're going to find is you, you usually remember a lot of this and you don't need to go look at it. So the worst thing you can do in any sport calling play-by-play -play is to have your head down. And it happens to all of us. It's happened to me. And if I've had a nugget, I think, I think I can squeeze this in, you know, before this next play, you know, made field goal, I'll look down. And next thing you know, especially in the NBA, it's so fast. Um, you just keep your eyes up and just feel the game, call the game, just feel the game. And then if you get a free throw, a stoppage, a whistle, take a peek if you need to. But that's kind of like, phase three, when you whittle everything down, have it in the go position. Now, if you use 10, 15% of, of that, that's a lot. Don't be one of those people that is trying to jam every ounce of research because you did the work. I'm going to get this in. Don't do that. That's bad. You're going to ignore your analyst. You're going to make it hard on the producer and the director, and they're going to be following you. You're going to be like chasing tails everywhere. Okay. So don't be that guy. Let it come to you, and then if it fits, then insert it there. Insert the the, the nugget or whatever you have. Uh, I've talked about this before in different classes, but I use I, I call it the three S's. So it, it's if you go like you imagine the spinning plates, like three spinning plates, right? S S S silence. S S S silence. That's always a good one. Uh, stats, stories. Okay, so you keep these plates spinning all the time. So anyway, stats, stories, silence. If you keep those going in a circle, in a loop, uh, then you'll, you'll, uh, you'll be in a good place. And you know, obviously that works with your analysts and how you feed into your analysts and how you engage that person, how they engage you, and you want to listen. And so the prep stuff is really important. I think Ernie Johnson's probably the master at it, but Ernie Johnson will, you, you'll be totally ready for any scenario, but it doesn't feel like it or look like it because you're just totally, you're just receiving, you're receiving and you're throwing some nuggets out and you're creating your own path. But for the most part, you're just kind of like absorbing the game and going where it wants to go. Like let it be its own river and don't try to jam up or dam up the river so you can get a couple of stories in. That's the worst. And it's not fun to listen to. So not saying I do this right all the time, but that's my thought. And I'm as guilty as anybody of not abiding by those. Sometimes not enough silence. Sometimes not enough stats. I don't back some things up with enough statistical information that makes it work. Sometimes not enough stories. So keep those going. Stats, story, silence, the three S's. And then one other scale I'll tell you about that is my mental scale of how to call, because I got this question um, about how, like, excitement level so this is, I, I think of it as a one to 10 scale. So a 10 
is the loudest you can be. Damian Lillard, series-ending playoff three-point, 37-footer to beat Paul George and the Thunder. As, that's as loud as I can yell and still keep my voice. That's a 10. A 1 is a Tuesday, second inning, first pitch of us, the second at-bat. So a 1 to 10 scale. In your mind, and I do this constantly, and I don't know where I came up with this. Uh, I feel like Bob Costas and I had a conversation years ago, not to name drop, but he had a similar idea, and I adopted it. And I look up to him a great deal, and he's been very helpful in my career as well, just as Al Michaels has. But I think Bob first mentioned this, but I put the numbers on it 1 to 10 because I wanted to go through every scenario prior to the pitch, okay? This is back to my baseball background as a catcher. I'm there in the stance, and I'm thinking about all the things that could possibly happen on the baseball field. So as an announcer, I'm doing the same thing, and I'm kind of going through these thoughts. Okay, if he hits a home run here, if he hits a shot here to win the game, I'm going to a 10. If he hits one here and it's a regular season game, I'm going to take it to a 7. And I think that scale will, if it's constantly in your mind, the SSS, silent stats, stories, and the 10 scale, the 1 to 10 scale about volume and tone and intensity, sometimes being loud is not the most important thing. Sometimes getting down there and being really deliberate, and this is a huge putt. You know, that's quiet. That's where Al Michaels is a genius because he doesn't always have to get loud. He can just get through it, and the way he speaks makes it important. And so there's all of the, it's a little bit of performance art when you're in that. It's like all these weaving of your voice, your tone, your volume. Do you have a smile on your face when you speak? So this is my resting face, which kind of looks like I'm mad, but it's not really. So if I add a smile and I sit up, everything kind of changes. My delivery changes and hey, how are we doing? We're all good. This is all good. This is a fun day here. It's a beautiful day. We got a beautiful game. So all of that matters. And I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you. But all of that matters. And if you can think about the SSS and you can think about the 10 scale and before plays happen, like in advance of it, I'm going to take this to a five. I'm going to take this to a seven if he doesn't. If, if, if it's my team, if I'm doing a Brewers game, which is much different than doing a national game, and my team loses on a walk-off, I'm not going to go to a 10. I'm going to keep it at a five. Well, there's a walk-off. The Brewers, you know, tough loss tonight. So that's probably another conversation we can do this again about national versus local um, broadcasting. And I love doing both. And I love the Brewers. And I'm really lucky. Uh, Rick Schlesinger and Tyler Barnes gave me a chance. And Alita Mercer uh, gave me a chance to be the Brewers announcer at 07. It changed my life. And I'm still here and our roots are here. And so I'm very thankful for all of those individuals. I kind of threw a bunch of names at you, but all those individuals who have uh, helped me. Uh, through all this. So let me see if I got another couple of questions here. Um, yeah, Bob Costas recommended an acting class. I've heard that before. He told me the same thing. I do think that's actually probably good. I mean, it is a bit of performance art. Um, speech diction, and that's a big one. Is it Julian? So like, um, I, I think that book, so diction and, um, pronouncing words and finishing with a good breath 
that all comes into it when you're on the air. So when you're on the air, my voice on the air is more about like this. This is kind of my games happening and I'm, you know, I'm calling it and I'm kind of up at a, probably a five always and fully engaged sitting up. If I'm just at home, I'm just sitting back. This is kind of my voice. So I think that book, Julian, change your voice, change your life will definitely help you in all of that because finishing words, taking a good breath, having the patience to take a breath because it feels like it's going really fast and you're missing a lot, especially like there's a transition basket in the NBA and you're, you know, it's like a pop through the nose, fill up the diaphragm. So your stomach goes out when you breathe in. Do you know that? Breathe out, stomach out when you breathe in. That fills the diaphragm. Mm, and then you pop it out. So it's really um, important to learn how to take those breaths, you know, especially if you're calling the Golden State Warriors game or if you're calling the New Orleans Pelicans right now, you got to, you know, you got to be able to make a call, take a breath, make another call. I'm not doing it that loud, but I'm just for effect. It's, it's kind of like that. It's make a call. Here he is. Here. Here's another one. You know, here's a play. Here's something. You're not making that noise, but it's the same principle. So you always have that breath support. And then if something big happens or it's about to happen, balls in the air, just fill it up with air, the diaphragm, and then you bang it out, right? And finish every sentence with air. Finish sentence with a, a big a burst of air. And if you need, if you're out of it, go get another one. Don't push it to the end, and then you're kind of talking like this. Nobody wants to hear that, right? So that's a big, that's a big one. Any reporting tips? How do you keep your confidence through the mud? Yeah, confidence through the mud has got you need a you need a, a group around you. You need a support system. You need people that understand what your dreams and what your goals are, and you need them to be ask them to be constant reminders for that. For me, that was my wife, Michelle. We've been married 26 years and she's the best crap detector on the face of the earth. And she knows she's not a sports fan, so she doesn't really know it or even care about it to that level that I do. But she knows when you can just be yourself or when I'm not being myself or I'm not thinking about things the right way. So you need a support system um, when you're feeling low and they, they should help you. Um, got a couple pregame anxiety before we go on the air. Absolutely. Every day. I had uh, pregame anxiety before I started here. <laughs> Anytime you put yourself out there and you're in a public forum, if you're not feeling that, then that's when mistakes happen. I always say like, and the crew who's with me all the time will know this, but I always say, right, when we get the count goes to like 10, I'll say, okay, this is how we end up on Deadspin or how we end up on Awful Announcing, you know, because... <laughs> We don't want to make those mistakes that end up there. And I've been there. I've been on it for making mistakes before. But when you let your guard down and you don't have that edge, uh, you probably don't need to be doing it. Or that's when you can really mess up and, you know, offend people or say something you shouldn't. So, yes, there's always anxiety. Um, the best way to handle anxiety, because you're going to have these moments in your career when you're going to be pushed up against these anxiety moments, these first time moments. I uh, highly recommend a podcast by Brene Brown who talks about first times and I'll let you find it, but she just, she's incredible. And uh, I listened to it just the other day and I was like, man, that's exactly right. And I did that somewhat, but wish I would have heard that 20 years ago, but you have to name that anxiety and understand like, all right, I'm feeling this because this is, this is the first time um, I've been through it and that's okay. 
to go through something for the first time, but don't, don't beat yourself up. Her name is Brene. It's like Rene, but with a B, B-R-E-N-E, Brene Brown. And I think it was her first episode. Uh, she talked about, she just released her podcast, but, but that's a great point because you have to push through those anxieties and some of that level of, uh, I remember before the 08 playoffs, I was just, I was completely gripped down and I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it. And I just got into some rhythm, rhythmic breathing. And I said, this is okay. Cause this, I've never done this before. I can't be expected to do this perfectly the first time and ended up, it was okay. Survive in advance. You want to just survive the gig and get to the next gig. If you can, you want to keep getting hired. Uh, until the next game. Favorite call, I have a bunch of them. A lot of Brewers calls, obviously, Ryan Braun, a bunch of Yelich stuff. Uh, the Roy Halladay no-hitter was awesome. Uh, Damian Lillard's three-pointer last year in the playoffs. I remember Seth Curry scored 17 points in an overtime in the NBA playoffs. That was a fun one, too. Uh, Notre Dame, Kentucky was a great uh, experience for me calling that game. Um, freshman in college. Uh, I do recommend internships. Anywhere you can find them, I think you just, instead of like locking down to a job, I highly recommend you go find internships anywhere that can just give you a little bit of exposure, even if, because if, then if it's not for you or if it's something that's not really utilizing your talents that you want to um, improve, then you can, you can bail. Um, so, you know, do as many as you can, get around as many people as you can. Believe it or not, people like me, people have been in the business a while, we, we want to help most people. And I certainly do, but it's, it's time management. So just keep asking people like me that you see people who are doing it at a professional level, just ask them for help and don't just ask them for advice, man. Be specific about your questions. Um, you know, so just, you're going to have, like she said, like you said, lack of experience. Everybody's going to give you that. I was told I don't have enough major league experience. I haven't done enough basketball. I haven't done enough golf. Just keep pushing through. My demo for the Brewers was my stand-ups on camera. So keep your demos to about three to five minutes. Put your best stuff up there front. Was my on-cameras from the Golf Channel, sitting next to Peter Osterhaus and Kirk Byram. (laughs) And I love those Golf Channel guys, by the way. Uh, Still some of my great friends. I put those three or four um, on-cameras, and then I put radio play-by-play of all those years of the minor leagues with just my name on a slate, a blue background, because I didn't have any TV play-by-play. I had a bunch of TV reporting, golf, college basketball, but not Major League Baseball. So I put those together, and that's kind of – that was the demo that I sent the Brewers. So there's no formula. You just have to have to deal with it. Travels, no problem for me. I've always been a good traveler. Thanks for that question, Michael. Um, it's, easy. it's hard on the family. It's, it's easy for me physically to go back and forth and do all the traveling, but that's the worst part of the job is being away from your family. Um, absolute worst part. And it, you'll be in hotels by yourself a lot miserable because you are not with the people you love the most. So that's really tough. Um, yeah. And so I think that's it. I better wrap it up here. Yeah. One hour in. Who knew I could talk for an hour? probably everybody. Thank you guys uh, for being part of this. It's awesome. I'm really thankful to Ernie Johnson for a lot of reasons, but things like this, he does all the time. He's always thinking about other people. And right now he's thinking about you guys. 
taking all your classes at home, maybe on Zoom or doing your virtual classrooms. And he's thinking about you. That's why he's awesome. And he's enlisted a lot of us to come do this for you. So he's the real deal. And if we could all strive to be like him, uh, we're, we're, we're in good shape. Matt Weiner is going to do this tomorrow. He's great, a great friend, my colleague at Turner. He's, he's been with ESPN. He's obviously been with Turner Sports. He's done big events. He's been a reporter, anchor, host. He's, he's done all that. He's a great resource. Kind of went through the journalism school. You know, he went through that. And uh, he'll, he's one of my favorites. Um, I love Matt. And I'm glad he's doing this tomorrow. And the next week, Ali LaForce, you got James Brown, Scott Van Pelt. I mean, seriously, Steve Levy's coming on. Think about like what Ernie is putting together for you guys. So it's awesome. Thank you guys. Have a great day. And uh, I hope we can run into you and I'll kind of plow through these questions. If I can answer them, I will. I'll figure out how that works, but um, we'll just keep going. All right. Maybe, maybe we'll get invited back and we'll do another round. Okay. All right. Be good and enjoy the mud. Thank you for tuning into this episode of VJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website, www.ejsgameplan.com. Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute and Grady Sports.